everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. And today's episode is on prostate cancer and some of the community implications, public health implications, and messaging. And we'll get all into that in a second. We've got a great crew, as always, that keeps us, keeps both Clarence and I hopping with uh, with good information. Maddie Levine-Wolf, Aaron Collins, Deandra Howard, do our background research research for us. Sheridan Nygaard also does research for us, but also our marketing. And then, of course, there's Matthew Campbell, who's probably busy right now getting one of our shows out to you, the listening audience. So thanks to all of them. They're a great crew, and we appreciate all their hard work. Uh, my partner in crime, as always, is Clarence Jones, and we're, we're having a good time doing these shows, chatting about a lot of, of different issues around health and healthcare, and and hopefully it's useful for you, the, uh, the listening audience. Our sponsor for these shows is Human Partnership, a good community health organization that provides a lot of programs out in the community for all of us. You can check them out at Human partnership.org. In addition, you can you can see our our website as well. Visit our website to see our shows and also all the background research that we provide to these shows is on our um, our our website at healthchatterpodcast.com. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Clarence and he can introduce our great guest for today. Hey, thank you, Stan. And I am honored to introduce to some, present to others, uh, Dr. Robert Tereski, um, who is a professor in the Department of Medical Chemistry at the University of Minnesota. Uh, he served as the director of the Masonic Cancer Center Analytical Biochemistry. Uh, he's also received his PhD in Nutrition and Food Science from MIT. Uh, he has uh, worked around the world, uh, but he, even more importantly, he has uh, he has done a project with me in terms of the topic that we're going to talk about tonight, which is around prostate cancer. And I want to just tell our listeners, thank you for listening to us. And uh, one of the things about Health Chatter, and I always like to, to frame this like this, is that we enter into a lot of different kinds of conversations. So today... Uh, it's going to be a, a grown folks conversation, which is kind of a cultural thing. So we're going to be talking about some some really interesting things. Uh, we're going to talk about some racial differences. Uh, and we're going to talk about some perceptions uh, when it comes to this issue around prostate cancer. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I, I will share with you is that um, out of all of the diseases that uh, I struggle with talking about, uh, the number, probably the number one disease is uh, one or two is, is going to be around prostate cancer. And one of the reasons for that is that it has been such a uh, kind of a taboo subject within my own uh, community. Uh, it's been a, a, a kind of a taboo subject in terms of men. And uh, we're going to get into that uh, when it comes to, to this topic today. Dr. Robert and I have uh, recently uh, done a, 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 a study around prostate cancer and African-American men. And what was so intriguing to me about our conversation was the fact that he talked about two things that really impact me. One was food, one was prostate cancer, but this topic was uh, barbecue and prostate cancer. 
And if you know one thing about me, uh, one I really, really love and one I like, I really, really hate to talk about. And so there was that conflict that we had in terms of talking about this topic. And so it was a very uh, kind of a, it was a very uh, wonderful uh, place to enter into, but it's also one in which I think is very important. So I'm really, really glad that he he has spent the time, has given us the time to come in and talk to Health Chatter about prostate cancer. So Dr. Robert, well, I want to thank you. Well, I'll tell you, Clarence, you and I have something in common. You, you, know, you with barbecue food, and me with a good pastrami sandwich. So, <laughs> <laughs> I guess we all have our vices, right? <laughs> exactly, 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 exactly. So, so, Dr. Robert, let, let's first let's let's start off. Let's talk about uh, we're talking about prostate cancer. Let's first talk about and explain what is the prostate. Well, the prostate is a small organ, walnut-sized organ, contributes to various biological functions, sexual development in, in men. It's critical for hormone development, influences um, various biological functions, uh, bone development, growth. And fortunately, it, since it is associated with hormone cancers, men are susceptible to this disease. So particularly after the age of 50, when men become most susceptible because uh, prostate cancer, like many other cancers, is a age-related disease. Men have to get, uh, like women with breast cancer, need to be screened annually uh, for early signs of prostate cancer. And one of the things that, uh, you know, as I was reading uh, this topic is that prostate is probably the second uh, most common cancer. Yeah, it's a very prevalent uh, cancer throughout the world. Uh, it occurs in uh, countries more prominently, for instance, in, in Western Europe, United States, the Caribbean. Than other parts of the world. And again, whether this is due to genetic factors or environmental or dietary is uh, still uh, an area of research that's being extensively investigated by epidemiologists and people as myself who do a lot of exposure assessment on, on potential cancer-causing agents in the diet environment. Yeah. So you let know, me when... ask you something. Um, you know, as you know, as a young man, many many years ago, you know, you don't you don't worry about these things, so you don't think about them. But let me ask you: Has prostate cancer increased over you know, like I don't know, the last 10, 15 years, for instance, that you're that you might be aware of? Maybe uh, I don't have those statistics in front of me. Most most cancers have, have plateaued off. I believe that there's more prevalence of some of the lethal prostate cancers, particularly in African-American men, because there is a hesitancy to um, either get tested annually, screened annually, or for biological susceptibilities that they're at higher incidences. Um, I, I don't know that that number has increased or not, though, globally for all types of prostate cancers. But there's enough of it that we should be concerned. Oh, it, it, it's, it's a very common cancer, yes. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's screened annually. Absolutely. You know, I, would, I've, I once heard, um, and then Clarence, you can get into all the, the, the community programmatic uh, components here. But I once heard that, or have heard quite often, actually, that prostate cancer seems to be more self-contained than than other cancers, you know, just by virtue of maybe the size of the organ or the the uh, the ease, the relative ease of, of removing it if need be. But it, it, have you come across any of that kind of information in your in your background or your literature? 
are you at, are you at, at yeah Clarence yeah or? but either one yeah it's more self-contained and you know i've heard people's i've heard some you know gentlemen's you know physicians say don't worry about you know an enlarged prostate or whatever or yeah. the, or or your cancer prostate because chances are you know it's so it's more self-contained you'll probably land up you know dying or or getting something more right. severe down the road is that is that still in the psyche here well, well, yes, yes, and no. Again, I, I want to emphasize that I, I'm a, a PhD. I am not a clinical right uh, or a physician. Uh, many, fortunately, many prostate cancers are, are slow growing. Yeah, you're you're correct when you do state that um, uh, they are more or less contained, and, and through either irradiation or, or surgical treatments, um, men, many men uh, who have been identified with cancer they can't live, can lead and live a long fulfilled life but uh prostate cancer like many other cancers there can be metastasis to, to other yeah. organs and uh that's when there additional treatment for instance um, hormonal therapy reducing testosterone which is kind of like the driver the gasoline that, that moves the car so that can you know, they can fuel growth and, and so there are many treatments and new medicines that are coming or are on the market that also are impacting or are trying to uh, kill these uh, cancerous cells by uh, inhibiting um, inhibition of DNA repair or damage. And, and so uh, there are people that do have a higher uh, prostate cancer uh, risk or, or aggressiveness. And so these treatments come in, in line, but uh, I'd say probably I think my my memory is correct. At seventy eighty percent of these cancers would not be considered aggressive and metastatic, but they're clearly yeah. a subset that is. Yeah. Okay. That's that's yeah. that's good to know. So, Clarence, so I, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I want to I want to let our listeners know that uh, I do love Dr. Robert. Uh, uh, and Dr. Robert is a, a, a definitely a clinician, and so when we uh, got together to talk about this this issue. Uh, he was really able to enter into the conversation and to work with the community in a way that that really uh, engaged them. And I think that uh, uh, the work that we're going to talk about now, which is the the work around the uh, African-American community and prostate cancer. I said we're going to talk about some racial things. There's some racial differences when it comes to prostate cancer. Uh, the thing that I was hearing was that uh, Asian-Americans, uh, Asians, probably are the lowest when it comes to prostate cancer. And African-Americans are probably the highest. And so I know from my community perspective that if you want to get a guy to go to the doctor, a black guy to go to the doctor, tell him about prostate cancer. That's the one thing that that it that seems to just drive them to get help them to get a a a a, a, a medical exam. And so um uh the thing that I wanted to do was to to say that Shannon, I think you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, was the fact that uh, for many men, this is really a very, very tough topic because of the perception about getting a test for prostate cancer. And I think in my community, uh, guys don't want to talk about it because it's a digital exam many times. <laughs> that's just not, you know, that's not something that people want to want to talk about or, or have done to them. And so, uh, Dr. Tereski, I would like, like you to just talk about the project that you're doing uh, and talk about some of the uh, some of the reasons why you did it. 
Okay, uh, so as Clarence mentioned, uh, African-American men do have uh, amongst the highest risk for developing prostate cancer, certainly in the United States in Northern America. And um, there are a number of potential reasons for this. First of all, again, prostate cancer, it's, it's multifactorial. There, there are many things that contribute to the risk of the disease. Uh, one is genetics. And so clearly there are African-Americans and whites that we have differences in our genetic makeup. Um, it's thought that um, African-Americans uh, may have a higher prevalence for faulty genes that are involved in, in DNA repair or, or protective mechanisms. We're exposed to chemicals in the diet, the environment, or, or even in our bodies that can damage DNA. And we have different enzymes in our bodies that are um, like policemen. They, they, they survey the cells, they survey the, the chromosomes and the genes, and they see an alteration of something that's not right. They repair the DNA, they repair the genes and, and mitigate mutations. But unfortunately, some uh, different ethnicities have different levels of expression of these enzymes or um, faulty enzymes and so those that have faulty enzymes are at higher risk for cancer, okay? So um, most, many cancers are thought to be attributed to some sort of chemical exposure, or those chemicals are, are, are contributing to the risk. So um, I work, I study a lot of different chemicals that are um, produced, for instance, in tobacco smoke. Uh, tobacco smoking causes lung cancer, okay? And also several other cancers, but most of the carcinogens in tobacco don't form until you combust or burn the tobacco, other than some nitrosamine. Okay, and so this is not a perfect analogy, but this is how I explain it to the layperson. When you cook meat um, at high temperature, you're producing, you know, these nice flavors and aromas that we like, whether they be in barbecued or, or roasted, not actually less so roasted meat, but, but barbecued high temperature flames meats, you're charring the surface of the meats the same way as you, you kind of uh, produce chemicals in uh, the tobacco, we're producing these flavors and aromas that we like in the cooked meats, but unfortunately, there are theories of different compounds that are produced at high temperatures in, in meat that are, we know are cancer-causing agents at high doses, at high doses in experimental laboratory animals, uh, but they could be contributing to human cancers. So African-Americans, um, at least based upon some of the um, data in the literature from behavioral scientists, uh, have reported that African-Americans have a more frequently eat well-done cooked meats, uh, barbecued meats, and say do, do, do white men. So um, some of the chemicals that I work on in cooked meats actually cause prostate cancer in, in laboratory animals, rats and mice at, at high doses. Um, we have seen that they cause um, DNA damage. If you take isolate, if you take a biopsy specimen from prostate patients, and you treat the, the cells with this, some of these cooked meat uh, agents, they damage the DNA in these cells in the test tube, okay? Hmm. 
So uh, what we had developed many years ago is a, a way to measure some of these cancer-causing agents in our hair. So when we eat foods, or you know, not only foods, but you know, smoke cigarettes or drink beverages, the men, most of the chemicals get absorbed in our bodies and go through the entire circulatory system via the, the blood. And um, even some of these chemicals will reach the, the hair follicle, okay? So one of the specific chemicals that we work on uh, that is in cooked meats, it's a cancer-causing agent, uh, we think it's a prostate carcinogen, it actually gets entrapped in the hair follicle, a very small dose of it. And so as the hair shaft grows out, you can snip your hair, right? we, I can snip somebody's hair, and I can break that or digest that hair, and I can analyze and see whether uh, someone has been exposed to this chemical in cooked meats that we think is a cancer-causing agent. Uh, we, we've done this in uh, actually in, in, in individuals who are meat eaters. We have done it analyzed for people who are vegetarians. Vegetarians don't have this carcinogen in their hair, only people that eat meat. And we've seen, uh, we've done controlled feeding studies and we've shown that the more that people eat well done cooked meats, the more this carcinogen they have in their hair. So what I had wanted to do, and this is where uh, I had the opportunity to meet a network of clients, is we want to ask the question, very simple question, do African-American men who frequently eat well-done cooked meats, do they have more of this carcinogen in their hair than, say, do white men who also eat frequently eat meats? And so uh, we um, established a study with Clarence um, last year where we um, have given some uh, flyers to African-American men explain the study, what we're trying to do. And so our, our, our goal right now, we this past summer, we did the study, we recruited the men over the summer season because that's essentially when most uh, most people frequently, at least in the, the North, uh, are doing barbecue. And I don't, I mean, my wife uh, is actually watching me. They won't let me use the barbecue in, in the middle of the winter. Uh, so <laughs> we, we think the barbecue season, the summer season is the most prevalent. So what we've done is we've recruited African-American men at the end of August, early September. We've also done the same with uh, white men. And we're currently um, analyzing um, the this carcinogen in hair to see whether, in fact, African-American men have more of it in their hair, say, than than white men. If they do, that is a, a first line of exposure data showing that, uh, well, that showing that African-American men eat more well-done cooked meats containing this potential, landscape potential human prostate carcinogen than do whites. And perhaps that is contributing to the elevated risk. And again, I want to emphasize prostate cancer is multifactorial. Okay? It's not just one thing, but you know this chemical. We know it damages DNA. In, we know it damages DNA experimental laboratory animals. We know it damages DNA in, in human prostate cells in the test tube. And this is a first line of data showing that um, it may be more prevalent. This intake of the carcinogen may potential carcinogen may be more prevalent in African Americans than whites, and it may help to explain some of the increases in susceptibility 
for prostate cancer in African-American men. We've actually done a study here at the University of Minnesota. Um, we published this about two years ago where we actually had a cohort of 300 men who were had prostate disease or other urological diseases. And uh, unfortunately, the study was predominantly white. We had more than 90% of the men who were treated here at the university were white. So we don't have a large enough sub-cohort of black men to, to draw conclusions. But what we had seen is that in that cohort of white men, those men who had an elevated uh, PSA score, it's a prostate-specific antigen, it's a protein that's produced in the prostate, that's generally, uh, not always, and there's some controversy with the PSA test, but there's a trend where uh, those men who have higher PSA levels have a more aggressive prostate cancer form than men with a lower PSA level. So we had seen that in the men who had higher PSA levels, they had higher level of this chemical in cooked meat called FIP, which we think is a prostate carcinogen. And then those men who had um, a, a low PSA score. We also had men who had um, inflammation, benign prostatic hyperplasia. That's non-cancerous. And those men also had lower levels of FIP in their hair than men with uh, an elevated uh, PSA score. And so that shows that there's an association. It doesn't prove causality. I mean, it could be something else in cooked meat that is contributing to this aggressive, um, higher aggressive form that we had observed in, in this cohort here at Minnesota. Or it may be that, you know, there's a light, another lifestyle factor that we, we don't know what it is that's being picked up with men that like to eat well-done cooked meats and have high levels of this carcinogen. Uh, but we're excited about this data because it's the first chemical marker for a lifestyle factor that we can link with uh, prostate cancer pathology. So uh, it, for me, it was a natural thing to to, to hook up with, with Clarence and try to uh, recruit more African-American men to get more extensive data. Now, these are healthy men that we're working with. Uh, ideally, what we'd really like to do longer term is to work in a, a cohort of, again, patients with urological diseases, whether it be um, prostate cancer, bladder cancer, or, or benign prostatic hyperplasia, not only with white men, but also with blacks and, and see if we can see whether uh, there are, uh, there, there's a difference between the African-American cohort and, and the white cohort with levels of FIP in hair uh, of prostate cancer patients. That would strengthen our, our data and allow us to um, provide more, more, more specific advice to uh, both, well, men men in general, about the health, potential health risk of uh, eating well-done cooked meat. I told Clarence- I've got, I've got a question here. So, all right, so I'm gonna just play this out a little bit. So, you know, Clarence is my good buddy here. I'm sitting next to him. We're in a barbecue restaurant, okay? So, um, and- I'm enjoying myself, Stan. Yeah, okay, right. So here, here's here's the deal. Um, if if Clarence goes ahead and gets you know a, you know a rack of ribs, and I go ahead and get a rack of of ribs in a, in a barbecue restaurant, is what you're saying that 
just by the mere fact that Clarence, let's just play this out a little bit, likes right. a lot, likes a lot, of, eats a lot of barbecue, and the fact that he's African American, and then there's Stan that's sitting next to him that I like barbecue, I don't eat a lot of it, and and I'm white. He's just inherently, based on what you're hypothesizing, at least at higher risk. Is that what you're 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 kind of getting at here? Uh, maybe going a little bit too far because we don't understand enough of what's going on in our bodies. Got it. Um, there is, well, let me back up a little bit. So I could still go ahead and eat it and so could Clarence. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I, will, I will eat it. Listen, I, I, still love, I still love barbecue ribs. Ask my wife Nicole. All right? Yeah. You know, I, what, I, look, what, I, what I tell the lay person is, you know, if you drink too much water, it's going to make you sick too. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, everything in dose and moderation. But these, some of these chemicals that we think may be contributing to prostate cancer, um, they, they themselves are not hazardous. They're not toxic. They're not carcinogenic. But once you eat them and they're in your body and they go through your liver or different other organs like the prostate, there are enzymes that convert or change these compounds. Our, our, our body wants to eliminate all this stuff. Okay? Yeah. So enzymes called cytochrome P450s that make these things more water soluble so we can excrete them in our urine, for example. But unfortunately, these enzymes, they don't, you know, they're kind of indiscriminate. It, depending where they convert or transform the, these carcinogens or procarcinogens, they can either convert them to non-hazardous detoxified metabolites or they can convert them to reactive intermediates that latch onto DNA. And so Clarence's profile of enzymes, their levels may be different than yours. Yeah. And so it's that balance of these different enzymes in our body that either bioactivate or detoxify these chemicals, which is one important risk factor. And so there are multi multiple enzymes and also amount right amount yes. of yes okay yes. so you know it's like i you know you know most docs will tell you for instance ice cream isn't isn't great for you because it's you know it's got a lot of cholesterol in it but you know i also say that once in, once in a while it's okay to have an ice cream cone it's good for your mental health so it, you know it's like amount how is that in in the research that you do how do you how do you figure out amount of to to indicate risk. Well, that that's a that's a great question. So so one of the challenges that we have, not only for the work that I'm doing, but for anybody who like me who's looking at different chemicals in the diet and the environment and their relative risk for developing cancer, the challenges that we have is that the way that we do these risks assessments up to now are by using experimental laboratory animals like rats, or mice, and they're given very, very high doses of these chemicals, like a hundred thousand, a million times more than you and I would eat each day. All right. Yeah. So uh, how do you do that extrapolation? All right. So the reason why they do these high doses in animals is to have a security margin. But you know, if uh, I'm getting this number on top of my head. If say uh, one out of a hundred thousand men 
develops prostate cancer, I mean, does that mean I need to study one uh, hundred thousand rats or mice? I can't. Right. Yeah. So they they do. Um, we do. Not me personally, but people that study this uh, carcinogen animal carcinogens pathology. I mean, they'll dose animals at very high levels, and they'll do a couple of different doses to do a dose response. But still, they're thousands of times more higher than what you and I would eat. So how do we do this extrapolation? So um, some of the things that I do is um, we look at the damage of DNA in our cells. Uh, we look at the frequency. We look at the levels. Or we use surrogate biomarkers. So some of these chemicals will latch on and modify blood proteins. The same reactive intermediate that damages DNA can modify hemoglobin and albumin. And we try to see what kind of levels of these reactive intermediates are in our bodies versus, you know, a high dose rat or mouse or, or an cell system. Okay. So um, other things that we can do is we can look at people urine after somebody eats a well-done hamburger. And I told you, I can measure, I can determine, I could tell uh, whether someone is a meat eater or a vegetarian because vegetarians will have this carcinogen. We could look at uh, a meat eater, we, these chemicals I told you get changed, they get metabolized. And we can look at the urine of different individuals because there's going to be a different pattern of metabolism. Some people will detoxify the carcinogen more efficiently than others. And so there, we have these chemical biomarkers in urine. We can say, yeah, well, person A is more efficiently in converting this to a hazardous metabolite than person B. And so that's some of our long-term goals. I mean, we have an understanding of how these chemicals that I'm interested in, how they're metabolized in, uh, we've done studies which were predominantly with Caucasians because we didn't have an African-American cohort. But for instance, the studies that we're doing with Clarence now, if our data holds up and we do see that, yeah, African-American men have higher levels of this potential cancer-causing agent in their um, hair, we, we don't understand whether there's a difference in how African-American men or white men process this carcinogen. And one way we could do it is we can identify men who have high levels of this in their hair. We could uh, measure the amounts of this carcinogen in the cooked meat. We can collect urine over a 24-hour period after they ate the meat, and we can see how they transform this chemical by looking at the metabolites in urine. And we can compare those to, say, white men and understand that there's a difference in how the two different uh, races metabolize this compound, and that could also perhaps help to explain elevated risk in, in one cohort versus the other. This is all stuff that we would like to do. We just need to get funded to do it. Yeah. So, so Clarence, all right. So, you know, you have your 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 colleagues and and, and friends in in your community. So, I'm just I'm just curious. Okay. So, you know, Rob says, God, it'd be great if we could get a you know an African American cohort here. So, all right. So, you go ahead and you talk to your 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 friends or your colleagues to see if they'd be interested in a study like this. I'm I'm just curious when you when you try to get people, okay, for a study like this, what what was the response that that you get from from an individual? I mean, it's they like they were excited, what? man. They were excited. Interesting. They were excited. Okay. They were excited. 
it, it so they There's were a way they, in which we they were excited in the sense of what go ahead either one of you do we lose power do that they knew that there was um yeah did, 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 I, did I stop up a little bit yeah, yeah. Okay. Ahead. Okay. Yeah. So the people in our, in our community was very, very excited about the about the topic. Uh, in fact, they couldn't wait hardly to get into the barbershop. Now there was, you know, we we provided an incentive for that, but more than that, we just told them this is more than about the incentive. This is about finding out why and how we are are uh, going to address this issue around prostate cancer, and if this is one of the ways in which we have to do it then, you know, we want you to be willing to do that, you know, from a very authentic perspective. And so um, that was that was the, that was the response. They like, yeah, OK, let's do this. In fact, uh, they would get their friends. Hey, look, man, let's let's do this They'd have stories. They would talk. They would talk about it. Uh, the barber, the barber had uh, was trying to figure out how then do I talk to my other customers when we don't have the uh, we don't have the study going on. How do I talk to my other customers about this? How do I identify, you know, what could be done, and what are some of the some of the uh, uh, ways in which to identify this? But I want to get back to Dr. Robert. I think one of the one of the thing, and this is this is told this is a totally candid conversation. One of the things that really, really, kind of really threw me off and 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 bedazzled, befuddled me, was this PSA stuff. Uh, PSA is, uh, you know, the way that I was understanding it was not always the most, uh, the clearest sign of what's really going on inside of a person's body. And I was so emotionally attached to the topic of, uh, of prostate cancer. I was figuring like, you know, is there another, is there something else that's more effective? We didn't want the digital exam, you know, and then you're going to tell me about PSA. And I'm like, so what in the world do I do? Which is one of the reasons why we were excited about about this new about the study with you, was that we struggle with it. that I, that I know. I'm sorry, I, I'm Clarence. I, I think he's being cut off. Dan, we able to hear him? Yep, yep, we got him. I I guess I, I I'm being cut off some of the audio I, I yeah i'm saying so so the question for me was you know uh we we in our community we're still struggling with this issue and the question is what what is it that we should be doing around prostate cancer right well again so the the, the end point that we're looking at we're, we're very excited about because it suggests a lifestyle factor meaning eating well done cooked meat and i underscore may may be contributed to prostate cancer risk and may underscored contribute to an elevated risk for african-american men so what i try to convey you know when i have to give talks uh, and most of the time i give to a scientific audience okay so I, I can use a lot of technical jargon but when i'm speaking to the public i, I tell them if you don't understand anything that i'm talking about if there's one message or, or two messages to take home, is one, don't burn your meat, right? It's when you really char your meats that you're increasing the levels of this cancer-causing agent, all right? So, you know, I don't eat my meats well done anymore. I, I try to eat them medium to medium rare. Uh, and um, 
first of all, it's a lot healthier for you. A lot of the uh, nutrients and the essential amino acids are present in higher amounts. You need some of the for well done. And you form a lot less of this cancer-causing agent. So already, if you can just do that, minimize uh, charring and eating meat well done, you've already done something that's positive, right? And um, as I said, um, it's it's all about the dose. So, I mean, it's not healthy to eat well done cooked meats or grilled bacon, crispy grilled bacon every day. I mean, moderate your diet. I mean, instead of having... Uh, grilled burgers five days a week. I mean, have uh, do some roast, do some stewed meats, have some fish, uh, other things that are not charred meats. And already you will lower your levels of exposure. Uh, we advocate for people to eat a lot of green leafy vegetables because there are things in these um, vegetables which are anti-carcinogenic. They're protective. They stimulate enzymes in our body that detoxify carcinogens or, or antioxidants. And so, you know, I've conveyed this to, to Clarence and to the African community. And also, you know, when I have to give other talks to, to lay people is moderation is most important, varied diets, and um, just don't burn the meat. So, I'm, all right, sorry, so, you know, I'm not telling people to be vegans. I mean, there are some people that advocate, you know, no red meat. I mean, you know, life is to enjoy and part of in, in life, things in life that are enjoyable is what we eat. So, you know, if you can modify your diet and you can lower your exposure to these potential hazardous chemicals by simply changing the temperature or how you cook the meat, uh, that's already a beneficial thing. And so that's the take home message. So let, let, let's talk about this from a public health, overall public health perspective, which you've obviously touched on here. We're, um, I assume that underlying uh, the work that you do is um, prevention. How is it that we truly can, can, um, can prevent? And, and also, um, I guess, um, treatment you might you 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 might say that um, eating less um, charred meat or really really well cooked meat is a form of 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 treating yourself in the prevention aspect of it all. All right, so um, we're working with a community. You're working with you know the African American community, and uh, when all is said and done. When when your research is done and you get, you know, a gazillion million for your for your research through grants, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, then then the question is, how is it that you translate your research into um, good public health usage? Well, it's it's communication. Ultimately, it's the communication to the public. Right? Yeah. So. I mean, I, I certainly have, have a role in that, as does any other research investigator who's studying risk factors for, for disease. Um, and also regulatory agencies, uh, mm -hmm. important. Uh, the American Institute of Research advocates uh, minimizing red meat consumption, International Agency for Research on Cancer, National Institutes of Health. Uh, these agencies are... are the official organizations 
that provide recommended guidelines, okay? And so as we do more research and we publish more data, these organizations continuously reviewing health benefits and risk factors for diseases, and it has to come from different sources. And clearly what I need to do is to publish the data to, to show these things. And when I have opportunities to speak to the public and like this event today, and hopefully, you know, if, if someone is listening to me and says, oh, wow, yeah, I, I didn't realize that. I, I'm going to stop drawing my burgers and eat the medium. I mean, I, I'm helping somebody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, down the road, um, you know, we've done done shows on health chatter that, that involve um, state, for instance, health plans around various chronic diseases. One of those is the cancer plan, where within it are um, objectives, programmatic initiatives for, the, in this case, the state of Minnesota. Then on a much broader um, scale, there's healthy people, 2030 the right now the objectives for the nation and for you know researchers like you there could be strong implications for you know new updated um, objectives in the cancer arena for objectives for the nation and also um, dietary guidelines going going forward so there are really some really good strong implications here absolutely yeah, I'm really excited, and, and Dr. Uh, Robert, I want to thank you for, you know, for actually being on our show today. And I know that this is a a conversation that uh, is very complex, but it's also for a lot of people very emotional. And I think that I was trying to convey that in in terms of some of the conversations that I was that I was having. That as 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 important as this issue is, we have to continue to find ways to get people to enter the conversation. And uh, part of the work that you're doing does that. I mean, the the idea of working uh, specifically around a, a topic of uh, interest, of, uh, a topic of interest to me, really excited me about working with you. But I also understand the bigger ramification of what we're trying to do. And so, I just want to personally thank you for the work that uh, you've done. And I know that we're going to be disseminating this information back to the community. Uh, one is when uh, just kind of a midterm report, whatever, and then when the other report comes out we're going to do that but that's part of what you know stan your your question is that we're going to do we disseminate this information and we told our we told the participants in this study that we were going to disseminate it so uh as complicated as it could be for some it's important that at least we enter the the dialogue and so again i just want to say thank you dr robert for your time well, well thank you for the kind words uh, clarence and I, if i might add uh, stan that uh, so I didn't know what the human organization was uh, two years ago or two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. Clarence and I've um, been involved in, in a number of meetings with the human organization now and the health advocacy and what Clarence does, I find is so inspiring for the, the African-American community in particular. Um, it's, he does a wonderful service to the community. Yeah, I, I can't, I agree with you a lot on that one. I mean, um, you know, I wish we could clone Clarence in many ways for all the different type, all the different populations that we have, because it it um, it really helps. It really, really helps in the long run. 
So, um, Dr. Tereski, thank you. I, 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 I applaud your efforts. I look forward to hearing more. And, uh, and to be honest with you, we reserve the right to get back to you or you back to us as soon as you have something exciting to say. We'll have you on Health Chatter again, for sure. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. So for our listening audience, our next show we're going to have is on cardiac rehab, rehabilitation, which should be very interesting, especially for those we're we're seeing, unfortunately, incidences where people are not taking taking advantage of cardiac rehab after having events. So we'll be talking about that on our next show. So in the meantime, everybody keep health chatting away. (laughs) 